I have to admit that ours is one of the 73 million households around the world that have been watching the Netflix blockbuster series, The Crown. <laughs> you may know it. It's a dramatization of the British royal family in all of its flawed humanity. It's beautifully done. Uh, they spare no expense. It's, the, the budget's just outrageous. There's wonderful settings and lavish wardrobes. It follows Queen Elizabeth and her family from when she was a young woman up the, almost to the present time so far. We're now in its fourth season. And sure, it's drama. It's not a documentary. So a lot of it's just made up. But so much of what we already know from the news headlines over the years. So many people are drawn into it. We watch. We can't really help it. And I think it's because we long for leaders that are noble and true and humble. But they seem to be so elusive. We can't blame them really, can we? For they're only human beings, just as we all are. Yet I think there is something in us that longs for leadership that expresses the best qualities. The better angels of our nature, it said, or even better than that. C.S. Lewis died on this date in 1963. This is the day we commemorate his life. And he said this about that particular longing. He said, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they will honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. We are surrounded by examples of poisonous leadership. When what we truly long for is expressed in Andrew Peterson's great song that's become so much a part of our Advent journey here at Redeemer, So Long Moses. It asks the question over and over, will there ever be a king like we really need? Like David, as he was meant to be at his best before he showed us how human he was. A king on a throne with power and wisdom owning the hearts of the people, with healing in his wings, as the scriptures add. Well, on this Christ the King Sunday, in a year we will long remember, what glimpse of the King do we need to see today? That question has been at the center of my thoughts this week. And it's on my tongue now. In this COVID autumn, soon leaning into winter, with social challenges and national division and an empty sanctuary. What word of the Lord's kingship could we hear? What needs to be said or said again? Today we come to the end of our liturgical year. It's a high point. It's a wonderful day of celebration of Christ's kingship. And if we go back, and you can remember, this journey began in the dark with just one solitary candle, a place of fragile hope, expectation, a longing that was barely spoken for fear that it would just evaporate. Then the many months followed that I don't need to elaborate, that have challenged and changed us in ways we weren't ready for, as no one is ready for such times. And now here we are with the risen Christ, the King, the Good Shepherd under whose feet all things have been placed. And we want to know, I want to know, 
What difference does it make anyway? Especially this year. What kind of king is this? And I think we have our answer for today. And I think we find it in this weird Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel. He was a strange one. And um, he did some bizarre things. I mean, have you read the book? Have you read what he did? But, but also there's beautiful prose and poetry in Ezekiel. Something about his life. He was taken away into exile in the very first wave of the deportations to Babylon. There would be other waves, and eventually Jerusalem and the temple itself would be destroyed, and all hope would be lost. Ezekiel is one of the prophets speaking the word of God into that time in Babylon among the people far from home. And much of it is a hard word, actually. 33 chapters of it is pretty hard. But as we move into chapter 34, the tone changes, and Ezekiel looks forward to when things will be restored. Some actually call this section the Gospel of Ezekiel because it's his version of the good news of God's loving intentions for his people. So today, on this special day, instead of a a kind of a systematic treatment of the theology of God's kingship, which is always appropriate, (laughs) I want us to hear instead the word of God to us through Ezekiel as we ask, what kind of king is this anyway? The people are in exile. They're separated from their land. They're far from home. They're far from their temple. They're far from the very things that have given them identity. Basically, they're spoils of war. And chapter 34 begins with strong condemnation of the previous kings of Israel. We don't have it in our reading today, but it's important to the reading. So I, I mentioned it. You're, you're, you know, take a Bible and look it up. But it's condemnations, it's woe against the previous kings, the leaders that are responsible for the very situation that, uh, of exile that they find themselves in. The prophecy here calls them shepherds. It's a rebuke for the things they have not done for the flock of Israel, instead for the way they have served themselves. Here's some of what it says. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for wild animals. No one searched or looked for them. You can hear the heart of God in this, can't you, for his sheep, for his people. So what does God declare after these woes against these, the, the, the bad kings? He declares this, he says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. The passage goes on to reveal God, the shepherd, as the rescuer of Israel, as the gatherer, the one who will feed, the one who will give rest, the one who will heal and strengthen. I mean, think what that would have sounded like to those in exile, to foreigners far from home, because that's what they were there. What chord of hope would it have struck among people that were tempted to feel that God had abandoned them? Their times were so hard, and they had known oppression from their rulers for so long. This was life-giving hope. This was light in the darkness of their existence. And God personally 
taking on the kingly role of this people that the human kings have neglected. God sort of says, if you want something done right, do it yourself. (laughs) You know, there's a long-standing relationship in the Scriptures between the the, the concept of uh, the ideas of God and king and shepherd. God was known as the shepherd of Israel. And the identity of king and shepherd were closely aligned. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence that David was called from tending sheep to be anointed king. That's a powerful image in, in Israel's history. It was a role of protection and nurture, of provision and healing, but most of all, it was a role of love. The hymn text catches it well. The king of love my shepherd is. Ezekiel prophesies here that the harms of the past will be undone. And those who were scattered would be sought out and gathered in. And health and wholeness would flourish. Basically, all of the indictments that were leveled against the selfish kings would be addressed by God and would be set right. The people could cling to this promise of restoration from the hands of their God, their shepherd and king. Along with this, there was a promise of justice. God would judge between the fat and the lean sheep. I liked your uh, fat sheep, Amanda. Because the fat ones were the ones who had strength and power. And they would push aside the weaker ones in pursuit of food. And since they were heavy, also they trampled the grass. And they destroyed the grazing grounds for the vulnerable. They butted them with their horns. They took advantage. This word of judgment against them is strong. God says He will take the side of the weak. He will strengthen them. But the sleek and the strong He will destroy. I I think we, for some reason, have a hard time accepting this, that God takes sides. We're continually tempted to see God as a neutral actor in the affairs of humanity, allowing the strongest and most attractive to have the upper hand. And sadly, the world can't, and it does look like that so much. Even in the church, it looks like that. But it is not permanent. There will be a reckoning. There will be a restoration. Things will be as they are meant to be. God will put His finger on the broken scales of justice to defend the weak. And I think we need to know this, and we need to see this, because this is an important part of of what the king does. Because our king cares about these things. And he desires his people, the citizens of the kingdom, to care about these things. I mean, when he judges the nations, what are the criteria? I mean, there's so many things that could have been listed uh, in order to judge the nations, and what is it? What does Jesus say in Matthew 25? It's how did you treat these little and weak ones of mine? Did you receive them? Did you bless and embrace them? Did you feed them? Did you visit them? Did you bind up their wounds? See, Jesus, the good shepherd and king, reflects very much, I think, this passage in Ezekiel. He comes to seek and to save. He comes to bind up and to heal. He comes to feed and nurture. He comes to protect He comes to love. This is our King. Not hidden away in a palace 
feasting while others go hungry. I mean, there's no paparazzi because there's nothing glamorous to see. In fact, Isaiah says we won't even want to look at him because there's so easy. he just wears sorrow. So where is he? He's in the streets. He's with the poor and the hurting, with a towel around his waist to heal and to save, to walk with the lonely and the homeless, to be present with hope. This king is here in the time of COVID. He's at the bedside of those who are gasping out their last breaths due to this disease and those who care for them. He's with those who face the loss of employment, with those who have lost loved ones, with those who face injustice every day, who live with fear and anxiety, and he promises hope. He says, it will not always be this way because I am making all things new. And to us, his brothers and sisters, he says, come with me. Do the things you see me doing. Live my life. The kingdom of God is underway. It is. It's been inaugurated, and we live in the promise of its full realization. All things have been put under the authority of the humble King Jesus, and his righteous purposes are being worked out, even though often it seems like they're not. This is the hope of the gospel that we live under now and we look to for the future. James, in his letter, says, Be patient. Be patient. Stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. Richard Rohr writes this. He says, There are always two worlds. There's the world as it is, and that operates on power, ego, and success. And then there's the world as it could be. That operates out of love. The secret of the kingdom life, he says, is discovering how we can live in both worlds simultaneously. One of the voices from the church's story that resonates particularly well, I think, in this time is that of Julian of Norwich. She lived in the 1300s in a city uh, that was devastated by the Black Death, the plague. It killed as many as half of the inhabitants. And then it kept returning. There were waves over subsequent years when it would come back. In her time, there were riots and revolts. There were serious divisions within the church. And that was all set against the backdrop of the 100 years war. It was tough. Julian suffered from ill health for most of her life. And around age 30, when she thought uh, she was dying, she had a series of visions or showings, as she called them, about the nature of Christ's passion and his love for the world, particularly his love for his sheep, his people. She actually recovered from that illness, and she wrote down these mystical experiences. And about 20 years later, she reflected on them in a longer treatise titled Revelations of Divine Love. It was the first book in English written by a woman. Now, Julian lived in a cell. It was probably a series of small rooms that were attached to the outer wall of St. Julian's Church in Norwich. And that's hence the name we know her by. We don't even know her real name. Her life was one of isolation, prayer, contemplation. She had a window to the outside world, 
carved into the, the stone wall that she, it was part of her cell. And she had a small window into the church so she could participate in worship. Perhaps it's not totally unlike the small window that you're using right now. <laughs> she did have visitors. There was a busy road nearby, and they would come, and they would seek spiritual direction from her. And uh, we have some reports she may have even had pets. <laughs> but her life was literally anchored to the church in all ways. And in the midst of pandemic and social upheaval and political turmoil, I'm talking about her time right now, her reflections on Jesus' love were a powerful word of hope. This is her best known. And all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. And they will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.